Are we rolling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll sound. I'll sound. Speed. All right, guys. All right, one take. All right, mark it. All right, action. Like film, that's what they all say. Great movies, it's the American way. I wish they had a show where they reviewed movies, which they do. It's called the Film and You Win Show. I like movies, big, big movies, big movies. It's floating pictures, it's so great. Movies, so join us, everybody, for the Film and You Win Show. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Film and You Win Show, part of the Grilling Out Podcast Network. I'm Max. And I'm Juliet. And we watched the movie The Favorite. Yes. First impressions, I really liked it. Yeah, it was good. Overall, for me, uh, period pieces are something I tend to stay away from. Yes. Um, I don't know if it's just the language for me or just overall the mood. It's not my genre, but I feel that director Yorgos Lanthimos was able to present it to me of using the setting of a period film, but kind of making this absurdist drama, sex, dark comedy sort of uh it's yeah. a mix of a lot of uh feelings yeah i i am a fan of period films it was this kind of cool dark comedy period drama that made it even better yeah of course a lot of moments when you're laughing a lot of moments where i was kind of oh stuff's getting kind of intense you're kind of at the edge of your seat provocative other moments Mm -hmm. uh very um sexy uh and a mix of everything going on so uh for me this is a very enjoyable film and very unique yeah um just like most of his work as well Uh, Mm um a very kind of unique experience where you kind of walk away and you go what did i experience right Uh, um i got a lot of stuff going on in my head right now there's something that i really like about him is that i get into a point which is one of my favorite things about a dark comedy where it starts as a giggle laugh and it turns into an extended like continuous laughter that goes on through a scene like I get you and I'm proud of myself for getting you a lot of moments where um almost feels like the movie's kind of laughing at you like the joke's on you um (laughs) like oh you're 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 still doing this oh I get it like it's kind of uh I don't know there's um it's very enjoyable uh, yeah, it was a really good movie. Uh, of course, we just saw it in theaters. Still in theaters right now. Nominated for 10, 10 Academy Awards. Yeah, ten. That's, That's impressive. Uh, ten. So is that the most ish? Um, I don't know the f- the full numbers, but it's a lot. So, yeah. Um, ten. But I, I think it was a little underrated of a movie. Just kind of felt like it was there. It was a little art house, and people weren't that interested in it. I will admit, when I first saw the trailer, I said, oh, that kind of looks fun. But it wasn't until I found out that uh, Yorgos was attached to this movie. Mm. go, oh, I do like this guy's work. It's a rivalry movie. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's like the Super Bowl. Uh, Very much so. Abigail versus Sarah, Super Bowl. So um, Rams, Rams, Patriots, you know, I'm, just I'm gonna bring it in there. I'm going to say that Sarah's probably the Patriots on this. I would say that Sarah would be the Patriots and... Abigail is like the Rams. Kind she's of like, new. She's fresh. She's got that Sean McVay, like really young and hot, you know, just trying to make their... <laughs> but uh, just jacking uh, off guys uh, yeah. while she's having an inner monologue on the outside. <laughs> whoa, 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 let's not get into spoilers. But uh, Sorry. let's be honest, if you're clicking on the episode that says The Favorite, if you haven't seen it yet, you're dummy for being here right now. So, But if you haven't seen it yet, we should probably give you some time to... Yeah, so we're going to get into the film focus, but of course, this is the time to shut it off if you don't want anything else spoiled for you in The Favorite, because we might have said too much already. Go ahead and get on your phone, get on your apps, go ahead and book some tickets, go see The Favorite. Yeah, we'll still um, be here when you get back. Or if you got kids at home and you want to shut this off, you know, make sure you know that you got to pick a favorite kid. Yeah. Yeah. Were you the favorite? Not in the least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's get into the film focus. Hey, hey, hocus pocus, it's the film focus. All right, discussing the favorite. So before we can kind of get into this, Juliet, kind of tell me where we are. Like, you know, like, what's going on? So it's the early 18th century, um, 1708 to be exact. That was a good year. Yeah, I mean, I Some remember it well. Some good music coming out. That's, yeah. Uh, the Beatles just... Uh, That's when they were getting their start. Yeah, so 1708, Britain is at war with France, which is actually the War of Spanish Secession. I obviously knew this before going into the movie because I'm very well versed. I usually tell people that, oh, are you going to go see the Spanish Secession movie? Yeah. 
It's called The Favorite. Maybe you should check it out. <laughs> I don't know. Read a book. <laughs> this is lightly based on a true story. There are a lot of things that are in no way true and completely fabricated. Um, there's a chunk of things that do have some validity in them. Uh, this is obviously an artistic film and shouldn't be taken too seriously when it comes to that. But Queen Anne is on the throne, which is not something that lasted very long, but that's where we are in this movie. Okay. We got Queen Anne. Of course, she's played by Olivia Coleman. Mm-hmm. Nominated one. Won the Golden Globe for this Won the film. Golden Globe. Uh, nominated for Best Actress in that. So... Mm-hmm. Queen Anne, and she has her favorite, her right-hand woman, uh, Lady Sarah, played by Rachel Weiss. Yes, Sarah Churchill um, is her childhood best friend, and she's kind of become her confidant, her bestie. Queen Anne is not someone who wants to do a lot of queening. She's kind of more of a, like, I want to watch duck races, hang out with my bestie, and pet my rabbits. She's a... <laughs> A typical Saturday for me. Yeah. Um, she is also very kind of a reluctant queen. Mm-hmm. I love the opening moment you have between the two because she's talking about building her a palace. Mm-hmm. This girl means a lot to her that she's given her a palace. So it establishes the connection and essentially she's in, you know, right. like Lady Sarah is like getting a palace, y'all. Yeah. I mean, it also showed me how much my friends don't care enough about me. So it, it hurt a little bit. At this point, zero of my friends have offered me a palace. None. And I think I've been a good friend. I've been a great friend. I kind of feel like it's also like that Everclear song. I will build you a palace for you, Lady Sarah. Right. So, so yeah, Everclear. Anne's got the gout. It's not fun. It's very painful, causes a lot of inflammation. Sarah is there for her, taking care of there all those needs. The thing that I love about Sarah and that that very important that very important point to show what a true friend she is is that this is the queen. This is the highest ranking person in an entire country and she is the only person that is willing to criticize her in order to help her. She calls which her is a, a badger. Fr- she says, you look like a badger. And she said, what are you talking about? We think it's cool. Like, you and the makeup artist think it's cool. Okay, makeup artist is going to tell you whatever you want because you're the goddamn queen. I'm telling you you look like a badger. Fix your face. And that's a real friend. Like, a queen friend gets you a palace. A real friend tells you when you look like an ass clown. Yeah, or a badger. Right. Same um, Yeah, and it also really just showed, like, how organic and real, although, like, there's still some to be discovered of Sarah's motives. But overall, Sarah is very honest to her, endearing, and she's the one that trusts her to deal with her goutness. Absolutely. I think that, you know, Sarah has some ulterior motives, but that little moment between the two of them, you kind of say, oh, she might be her friend. And then cut to Abigail. Abigail's actually Sarah's cousin, who was well off, was a lady at some point, but her father lost her in a card game to a German man. So she kind of became this sex slave to a German. So Abigail's traveling to the palace in the hopes of getting a job. And she, she's, it's good work. It's, it's steady work. Um, it's steady work. I mean, it, you're. You're the lowest of the low at the palace. Yeah, you are. Um, what does she burn her hand on? She's she's kind of getting hazed by the mean chubby girls that are also maids. She is sent over to like clean the floor, sticks her hand in the bucket to start scrubbing the floor. The bucket's actually not full of water. It's full of lye, which is a chemical reactor to your hand and burns your hand. Actually, Fight Club, that's how he burnt his hand. And this film actually was a prequel to Fight Club. It is. It's Funny actually story. trivia. Weird trivia, but her name is Robert Paulson this whole time. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, anyway, so Abigail um, is a maid, which means she has to sleep in like group quarters. It's dirty. It's gross. There's snoring, smelly women sleeping on hard wood and hay, and it's just nasty. It's like deer camp. Yeah, it sucks. So Sarah knows that her cousin is there and her cousin is a maid. Um, When the queen gets hit with a bad case of gout in the middle of the night, Sarah's obviously there comforting the queen by putting pieces of meat 
of beef over the gout wounds. Venison. Venison, actually. Yeah, it's yeah. a very tender meat. Deer camp. Deer camp. <laughs> um, and Abigail sees this, and this is her in. This is her, this is how I'm going to, like, work my way to the top. Abigail sees this, and Abigail, who was once an educated girl, which most maids were not, she realizes that, like, oh, I could actually probably do better than being a maid. So she goes out into the 100-acre wood and forages for some herbs and things and makes a cream and gets manipulates her way into the queen's bedchamber and is able to put the cream on the queen's leg and the queen notices that she feels better so sarah says okay fine you could be one of my ladies of the bedchamber which means you are basically my my maid instead of everyone's maid and at this point abigail's like moving on up yeah She's yeah. definitely moving on. She's, She's moving like, up next level. Got a point. Okay, moving on. This dude Harley sees her, played by Nicholas Holt. He is amazing character too. Yeah. Nicholas Holt kills it in this movie. He kills it. He is awesome. He he's basically a member of the British Parliament. He's kind of Sarah's nemesis. So he kind of latches on to Abigail, seeing that she moved up pretty quickly, and she's also super cute. Um, so he kind of latches onto her and says hey, do you think you can, like, spy for me? And she's like, no, dog. I got a good spot here. I now have my own bedroom, my own bed. I'm cool. However, this is when it gets interesting because Abigail happens upon the Queen and Sarah late one night and the big twist. They're having... They're playing Monopoly. Close. There is community chest involved. Okay, gotcha. They collect a lot. <laughs> they collect a lot. Um, uh, yeah, they're getting it on. They're getting it on. So Sarah and Queen Anne have been having a lesbian affair together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unbeknownst to the it's entire country. being the queen with a gout, you know? I mean, what can you do? So the two of them are making sweet, sweet fuck, as I believe she called it. And they, um, Abigail quietly reacts, gets herself out of there. And now sees her chance to move on up again. It's time to sex up the queen. And she decides to court the queen and try to win the queen's favor. So now the plot has truly begun because she's trying to win over the queen's favor from Sarah. And boom, it works because all of a sudden it's like, get me more of that herb cream girl. Give me more of that herb cream. I want some more of that herb cream. So additionally on all of this, so Sarah Sarah does see the value in her cousin Abigail. And she kind of says, hey, Abigail, can you kind of take care of her for a minute? I'm dealing with this war situation. Because Sarah's kind of been the queen while the queen doesn't feel like being the queen. She works as like, uh, you know, sounding board between the prime minister and Nicholas Holt and the rest of the parliament. She kind of like... She forces her own agenda in the queen's best interest, kind of. So she's got she's got some queening to do, Sarah. So she asks Abigail to kind of step in, help out a little bit. Abigail sees this as like, here we go. Let's do this. And so she kind of courts her a little bit. She tells her she's hot. I also think Sarah um, feels very confident. Uh, oh, she yeah. She does not see Abigail as a threat no. at this point. Um because obviously the big theme in this movie is just power. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Sarah feels pretty confident that she holds the power. Mm-hmm. And doesn't really see too far deep into like how Abigail, like how crafty she can really right. be to take this power from right. her. And Queen Anne is a very playful woman. She went through a lot of tragedy. The 17 rabbits she has are representative of the 17 children that she lost. She's a playful woman. She makes you pet her rabbits before you come into the room and enjoys herself, and she flirts hard with Sarah. And so Sarah immediately, after seeing the whole situation with Abigail, says, you're messing with me. Come on. Like, you're just trying to make me jealous. And Sarah, and and Anne's like, are you jealous? Like, fuck yeah. yeah. So Sarah kind of wins. Sarah kind of wins the queen back a little bit, and Abigail's like, Gotta try harder. Okay. Using up a life? Level two. Sarah's starting to get her feelings hurt and starts chucking books at her just to be a little bit like, know your place, know your place. And 
Abigail sees this as an opportunity, hits herself in the face of the book a bunch of times. Okay. Then kind of goes into Queen Anne, sits outside her room, sobbing hysterically like a child. And then Queen Anne comes out and sees her. And then we kind of have this reversal of, okay, Sarah, you're being mean. Abigail's a really sweet girl. Leave her alone, blah, blah, blah. So she kind of takes Abigail on and says, Sarah, you're overreacting. Abigail's cool. She's my buddy. She's hanging out with us sometimes. You're still my, you're still my boo. You're still my favorite. But Abby's cool. So Abigail makes tea for the two of them when Sarah comes in one day from one of her fun shooting pigeons excursions. And Abigail actually drugs Sarah's tea. Sarah, after a few sips, realizes it. It is super type A and decides to storm out getting on a horse and ride away because she doesn't want to show any weakness. Pukes, passes out, gets dragged miles and miles and miles. Face gets pretty beaten up. Face gets super beaten up. Back at the palace, Queen Anne's like, do not go find her. It's fine. Abigail, you're my new boo. Come hang out here. What do you want? You know what? I know a guy. He wants to marry you. He's a baron. Let's do this. Marry him. You'll be a baroness. Boom. Abigail is up to like level 10 right now. She's lady level. Lady she, Lady Abigail. Lady Abigail. She is a baroness. There is not much higher than you can get as a part of the court at this point. Yeah. That's pretty badass. She went from sitting on a carriage while a guy jerked off to her to becoming a baroness. Yeah. I mean, that's a big, uh, I almost felt like this was like uh, some kind of like biopic pick of like Abigail became a rapper then too. You start from rags of riches. It's like oh. Eminem 8 Mile. <laughs> um, yeah. But then of course, Sarah returns. And she kind of issues an ultimatum to the queen and says, I need you to send her away. I need you to do what I need you to do with this war Because I have these thing. letters. I have these love letters. Or... I'm going to present these letters from you mm. to everyone that explicitly state that we're banging. Anne is so insulted and upset about the fact that she would do this that it ruins the relationship between Anne and Sarah. So they've been friends since they were children, and she just threatened her with her deepest secret, and it destroyed the friendship. So Sarah sent away. Anne's still kind of sad. She's lost her best friend, who's also her lover, but... Most importantly, her best friend. Sarah is sad because she knows she did a bad thing. And it's not even that she wants to be royal, like in the royal court again. She just kind of misses her friend. So the old prime minister is chatting up Sarah and he's like, maybe just give her a letter. And he talks to the queen. He's like, if she gave you a letter, would you be cool? And the queen's like, I mean, I can't guarantee that I'll read it, but like, yeah, I mean, she mm -hmm. could send me a letter. So he's like, send her a goddamn letter. So she goes through all this letter writing. And finally, when she like, as this is going on, we're also seeing what's going on at the palace, which is every time the mail comes, Queen Anne gets a little upset going, is this all the mail? What else is there? I'm waiting for a piece of fabric. That's all. And Abigail's getting a little suspicious saying, well, why don't we ask for a new piece of fabric? Because it's really taking a long time. Like all these things could have happened to the fabric. Amazon Prime was not around back and then. It, if it was, wasn't doing great. I blame Parliament. Mm -hmm. The letter finally arrives, but Abigail is kind of in a place where she's a little gluttonous, she's a little drunk, and she's feeling a little big for her britches. So she's like, give me the mail. I'm looking at the mail. She sees that there's a letter that's come from Sarah, opens it up, reads it, tosses it in the fire, chugs her wine, goes about her business. Mm -hmm. So the queen, this letter she's been waiting for, waiting for, waiting for, never arrives. Part of Abigail's kind of promotion, she's kind of the bookkeeper. So she brings this theory that she has that perhaps Sarah and her husband were embezzling some money. And Was that shuts true? it down. Well, that's where it's a little like, I'm not sure. Because I, I thought that's why she maybe wanted the war to keep going. Well, so I, I didn't know if it was fact or fiction. That's the thing. And I don't think it's officially confirmed that it was fact or fiction, but I think everyone's leaning towards it was fiction. It was just Abigail's final, like, I got to make coffin, sure I win. Yeah, I got to make sure she never comes back. Here's what we're going to do. Anne says, all right, maybe it did. Fine. They're banished. 
I never want to see them again. That's fine. And Abigail's like, fuck yeah, I won. Here I am. I am the favorite. I've got my Baroness title. I got my fancy clothes. I got my sexy heels and I'm bored. So what I'm going to do is step on this rabbit. The queen is like, okay, you're not that nice girl. I thought you were. Come on over here. She grabs her head, makes her rubber leg, which is very like what you would make a servant, a maid, a bitch do. So she's now treating the favorite like like a whore, like a slave. Yeah. And that's where we end it, surrounded by the bunnies. Yeah, that um, that sums it up. That was very masterfully said. Thank you. Uh, good job. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, essentially Abigail got what she wanted, and then mm-hmm. there's like that kind of weird just long moment at the end of like is this what you really wanted you know and this is uh gonna be your future yeah Um, this is your present and future it's your forever uh, so what is your conclusion for this movie like what was our resolution was there really a resolution well i feel the resolution is that sarah sarah kind of won in a way not in the way she wanted to abigail could have quit while she was ahead and the three of them could have just peacefully Enjoyed their existence. But Abigail's fear of that Sarah would just take her back down. She was afraid she was going to get pushed down again. She had this fear of being lost again. Whereas Sarah had everything. Everything was great. And and truly did love Queen Anne. Like, it it's a true thing that she had these feelings for her of her very best friend. I'm the only person that would ever say anything like that to you. I'm the only person to ever be honest with you. And it's because I don't want you to look like a fool. I don't want you to make a mistake. I want you to, I want you to be your best and I'll be my best because of it. So it's kind of, it's this story of friendship as well as a story of rivalry. Because Abigail wasn't a real friend. Abigail, Abigail and she said it herself, I am with myself. And sometimes that benefits you. Ultimately, who are you rooting for in a movie like this? It was kind of I kind of found myself on the fence of I don't know who the antagonist protagonist really is in this movie because it, I bounced. Yeah, I bounced back and forth a lot. I see. I didn't bounce back and forth that much. Essentially, for me, it was just oh, Sarah's kind of using this relationship, oversexing up the queen, getting what she wants. She's got it made. Abigail is coming up and going to put Sarah in her place and you're kind of rooting for the rags to riches story with Abigail. And then when you see Abigail actually just now kind of being drunk, having a good time and you see Sarah actually was like truly and genuine, although she did have other motives involved, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you kind of feel bad for Sarah in the end. So it's kind of weird. You're like rooting against Sarah at the beginning and then at the end I'm like, oh, fuck Abigail. You feel bad for her at the end, but when she says, I'm thinking about moving, you're like, okay, good. She's going to be okay. And that's what I like at the end is she's a very resilient woman. And this was all about powerful women too, which I think is kind of cool. And I think probably one of the reasons that it is a movie that the Academy Awards are recognizing this year is because this is about three very powerful women, um, tangible and untangible powers that they all have and it's kind of great like abigail emma stone's smart as hell she can forage for healing herbs and also she can seduce anyone male female she's great at it and um rachel vice who plays sarah she's not only like crazy intelligent when it comes to politics and war she can compartmentalize her love feelings versus her loyalty feelings versus her feelings for the queen versus feelings for the husband knowing what's best for everyone and then you have the queen who is kind of a a loving person and just wants to enjoy herself she had horrific tragedy befall her her entire life and she's also dealing with this medical condition that's incredibly painful that she's trying to have fun and enjoy herself well, and it's also interesting, too, because as the rivalry keeps intensifying, the queen's medical issues start kind of mm-hmm. slowly deteriorating her. So through the course of this rivalry between the two, you're kind of watching, like, they're both fighting for the queen's best interest, but she's actually just kind of falling apart during the whole process. And at the end, she's almost, like, not doing good. Pretty pretty interesting blend of emotions to feel in a movie like this. It's very absurdist comedy. Mm-hmm. Laughing a lot, a lot of LOLs in the theater, <laughs> uh, but also just 
extremely dramatic and intense at times. So it's nominated for 10 Academy Awards this year, this Oscar season, um, in all the major categories. So uh, first up, original screenplay. Um, I love it. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Um, there was a, an ex- a, a really great use of the word cunt multiple times and i'm always a fan of that generally that's what wins oscars Mm -hmm. so um original screenplay was great i don't see it winning for that um who are the other nominees so it's um it's going up against uh the movie green book first performed uh roma and vice so now actually looking at that list i I could actually see the favorite winning i could see the favorite winning. it's is it adapted or original original interesting uh, it's also nominated for production design, which I could absolutely I say. absolutely see that winning. Um, production design, of course, like the sets were amazing. Costume <laughs> design, which I think hard win, um, hard win for this. And generally, period pieces win this award almost every single year. I was gonna save this for the trivia section, but this is a little like a sneak peek for Sorry. you. But um, the costume designer uh, Sandy Powell. Um, Budget was really tight on this film. It was a $15 million budget. So, um, oh, poor baby. Oh, poor baby. I make that on a Tuesday. <laughs> Anyways. Jurassic World <laughs> um, So they were unable to rent a lot of stuff. So a lot of the wigs and costumes were made from scratch. So she basically ordering stuff on eBay, thrift stores, like just kind of material, like bringing these materials together for light. So I think they kind of use that to their advantage of it's kind of got a little, their own twist on things. Right. I'm not a big fashion expert, but um, I thought that was... Are you sure? I thought that was... I wear a a hoodie and jeans. Yeah, I I feel like you're a fashionista. Um, I'm I'm more closer to Kevin Smith than uh, (laughs) uh, Marie Antoinette. So... um, I thought that was really interesting because I knew budget was really tight. So a lot of the stuff was handmade and made from scratch, which wow. is kind of um, usually stuff's like rented, but they had no budget to rent stuff. That's kind of cool. Uh, yeah. Editing. I'll take the opening, for example. What was really amazing was you see um, Emma Stone, Abigail, uh, arriving in um, the carriage, carriage to the place. And you see that guy kind of looking at her really weird. And then it cuts to her talking about how she got there. Then it Go ahead, and we just cut back, yeah. and he's, like, jerking it. And you can't get that without how it cuts that way. And that mm-hmm. is, like, screenwriting as well. But it's the way that it's paced and cut together. Um, overall, in a film like that, I think that is, like, editing should work with the story and how it's going to tell the story. And I think the pacing, um, the shots they used, I think editing is really great. Uh, of course, leading actress, uh, Queen Anne. Queen Anne, Olivia, Olivia, Olivia Coleman. Olivia Coleman won the Golden Globe for Best Actress. So, pretty. Uh, signs point to the Golden Globe usually translates to Academy Awards. Right. So, and I mean, the, we'll see. the um, levels of acting. I mean, honestly, we can break down this different levels of acting. She went from this childlike excitement to just complete. I don't even. I, I can't even describe the word of like what you could see in her face, the change from her at the beginning of this movie to the end when she's just stone-faced, decided this is Abigail's punishment and this is the life that she's leading and I should have trusted my friend is kind of, it's kind of amazing. It's very, it's interesting to really see someone have that kind of transition and act that well. I think, uh, I think it's hers. She won it. She the, is our favorite. favorite. Um, supporting actress, it's nominated for two awards. Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz uh, both are nominated. I think Rachel Weisz was better in this movie. I think this is still Emma Stone's best performance ever in a movie, okay. in, in my opinion. Um, I don't know how you feel about that. I, I It's probably her best, I would agree. I think this was her best performance, but I think her winning two years ago for La La Land, where uh, the performance was great, but I don't know if it was Oscar-worthy. Um, she's kind of got that, um, I'm going to be nominated for stuff now, but not really win because she's already got her win. Right. Just, I mean, nothing against you, Emma Stone, you know, but I, I think, uh, who was better? I'm going with Rachel Weiss, and here is why. The character she played never really changed how she appeared to other people, but for some reason, you could still feel the difference in her. Very rarely 
did her gait change, did her voice change in the way that she was acting, but you could really feel the change in that character. Yeah, and if I compare the favorites, uh, Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone to Amy Adams' performance, I, I'm picking Amy Adams. Really? Yes. Okay. Um, and then, of course, is nominated for the final big three, Cinematography, Director, and Best Picture, which I think the argument is looking at the nominees – Favorite Absolutely. could win all three of these categories. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting thing about cinematography, another b- bonus trivia was um, they used a lot of uh, practical lighting and available light to light their scenes, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. practical lighting. I mean, like fireplaces, candles, available light from the windows. Obviously, the exteriors, they have that light. They had backup lighting on standby, but they rarely used it. And that was like what they wanted to achieve is look as natural as possible. And, uh, I mean, it works. It looks great. I feel very intimate. I feel in the moment. So I thought the cinematography was great. Yes. I actually read that the cinematographer took his inspiration from a Caravaggio painting, the Caravaggio style of painting. He's an Italian painter. I just wanted to say Caravaggio because it (laughs) it sounds like I'm smart. And essentially because that's what you, you know, I could see that painting style. Uh, when Rachel Weiss is kind of locked out of that secret door to the queen's room. She's got the one candle, and she's in this really dark hallway, and she's in the dark. Like, she's mm-hmm. on the outside trying to get into this really bright, lit room with big windows. So, right. um, Cinematography was an amazing tool for telling the story. I think this is uh, what I love about movies like this. Or I always preach what I look for is, like, unity. In movies, so it's all the elements of filmmaking working together to serve its purpose. There is awesome sound design in this movie. The score was very interesting throughout the movie. Sometimes it would just be like a few notes being played over and over and over, just building that tension. Everything yeah. worked in this movie. It's a team. I think teamwork makes the dream work, and this worked perfect in this movie. Mm-hmm. Every single element of filmmaking was present in this movie. And they all work together for the bigger purpose of telling the this story. Yeah, which is kind of ironic, if you will, um, about a story of people not working well together, of people fighting each other, the rivalry between these women, yet this is a very strong community of these people working together to make this film. Side note, I would love to watch a movie where the sound design and uh actors like compete with each other and rival where like the music gets really really loud and they have to like yell over it and then they just start competing over it so david fincher movies yeah totally (laughs) there you go all right let's get into some gems first gem i'd like to discuss there's food there's food a lot of food a lot of eating a lot of food present even Mm -hmm. when they're shooting pigeons there's something to eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of reminds me of Twin Peaks. You know, there's always some donuts <laughs> or coffee nearby. Yeah. I mean, food was a sign. Like, if you had food, that meant you were wealthy. It, it was funny because at first I kind of just noticed it for a little bit of, oh, yeah, here's another eating scene. Here they're eating that. And then it just became a trend. And then it's like, okay, yeah, food's very present in this story. Um, the queen, of course, when she was sick, was just... Eating, uh, what were those again? Like she was eating cakes? cake. She yeah. was eating cake because she was eating her feelings, but because of the gout and the other yeah. issues she's having intestinally, she couldn't keep it down. So she, you know, sometimes you just got to eat your feelings. And even if you puke, you just puke and rally and eat again. Yeah. It's just <laughs> it affects royalty too. I'm always like that when I eat cake. Royals, but, um, they're just like us. Duck races. So duck races were really uh, important in the beginning of the movie. And there's an awesome moment where this duck got a cameo where uh, I believe it was the prime minister. Prime minister's duck. Yeah, it was his duck, him just sitting there. And it was awesome. He wins every time. Can we bring duck races back? Um, Was that a thing? I don't think they're gone. I think people still have duck races. If you remember, there's an amazing episode of Friends where the chick and the duck race and Phoebe and Joey are... Maybe that's where this movie got it from. Yeah, I mean, maybe. This movie is actually a prequel to Friends. All I got to say is this is the most fun I've had seeing ducks in movies since The Mighty Ducks with Emilio Estevez. Speaking of animals, uh, the use of rabbits as pets. Now, we kind of talked about this earlier. Uh, why rabbits? Why, why, why rabbits represent her 17 children? I think puppies are too cute and distracting for a movie. Uh, this is actually one of those things that wasn't a reality 
yes, Queen Anne from history did have 17 children that she lost, but she did not keep rabbits as representatives of them. And was that normal to have rabbits as pets back then? No, actually, rabbits were more like food back then at best. Um, But usually they're kind of considered kind of almost like rats, like prettier rats. Rabbits and ducks, though. Gotta love them. The awesome dance scene with Rachel Weisz and uh, Abigail's future husband. They really (laughs) got it on. That was a pretty awesome dance. That was... That was the most sexual thing that I've seen in film in a long time. It was like blend of like modern dancing into like a period. It was film. fun. They did some voguing. It was very like I'd I'd love to just learn how they came up with it. Whether it was the actors just fucked around and said no, this is what we're gonna do, or if it was collaborative, or if they had a choreographer, because it was just out of nowhere modernization that was just really enjoyable. Another gym. Throwing pomegranates at a man that's naked. Sounds like a Tuesday. What about that scene? We, uh, (laughs) let's dive dive into that. Yeah. Tuesday, Wednesday, all day, every day. Um, That's what we do after every podcast. Yeah, we just have a moment in the movie where we just cut to a a, a naked man that's a little chubby, uh, holding his genitals in his hand and, um... Are we sure it's pomegranates? Have Her, we really explored what so the fruit could have been? I thought it was tomatoes at first, but then it just felt like it was pomegranates. Yeah, but, I thought it was tomatoes too. But, pomegranate is a that's a rich man's fruit. How about we agree to this? It was a mix of tomatoes and pomegranates because I don't think tomatoes were in season right then. Weird choice of title cards. Yeah, it was like an eye chart. So, of course, this movie is broken up into eight chapters, which uh, all took away a bit of dialogue from each section that we're we're showing in the movie. But then, yeah, he just has kind of interesting, like, small font, big font. And, yeah, you're right. I felt like I was at the DMV trying to test my eyes out. And it was always a line that was said in the scene we're about to see. So it was just like, I know that this line is important and why. Final gem of the movie I have is just Emma Stone's boobs. Yeah. Uh, was that the first time she revealed her boobs in a movie? It was, and it's already made it up on Pornhub. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Cool. All right, so Didn't everyone, if you time. want to check it out, it's on Pornhub. So. Yeah, you don't have to watch the movie. You can just go on Pornhub and see her boobs. Yeah, uh, it was also Emma Stone's choice. The director, uh, Yorgos, wanted her just to be in the bed with the queen. Emma Stone decided that it'd be better if she would see some of her nudity, so it kind of has more sex and... Uh, more of a, more, more of a more visceral of a effect. Totally, 100%. So that was her choice, and I think it was really effective. Those are some great gems. Great gems. Guess what? It's time for some trivia. Olivia Coleman gained 35 pounds to play the role of Queen Anne. Such a sacrifice. Hey, I mean... I'll gain 35 pounds tonight if you let me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I was playing Queen Anne, I'd be like, I'm ordering a bunch of pizza and Taco Bell. <laughs> Hell yeah. I mentioned about how all the costumes and wigs were made from scratch, but uh, there's so many wigs involved in this movie, they actually had their own trailer. Like how the actors get trailers, the wigs had their own personal trailer. Oh, a wig trailer. There was a wig nice. trailer on set. I like that. Speaking of costumes, uh, costume designer Sandy Powell, she had to divide her duties while doing The Favorite with also the movie Mary Poppins Returns. Wow. So she was double duty, working on both costume design. Costume design for both films. Fortunately, both productions use adjacent workspaces at the Pinewood Studios, so she was able to double dip and work on both movies at the same time. Did she get paid for both? Yes, she got paid for both. Nice. Sandy Powell received an Academy Award nomination this year for both of her, both of those films. So party at Sandy Powell's house because she can afford it. Get this girl an Oscar. <laughs> All three main characters in this film vomit. Uh, I thought that was really interesting. Rachel Weiss, uh, Sarah, pukes while she's on the horse. Oh my god. Emma Stone's way too drunk and pukes in a vase. Mm-hmm. And of course we discussed earlier about uh, Queen Anne um, eating cake and then puking because of the gout. There's a, there's scenes in the movie where uh, the characters eat lobster and of course they use the venison on the gout. Mm-hmm. And both of uh, Yorgos Lanthimos' recent films... Uh, were the killing of a sacred deer and the lobster. Oh, that's cute. Trivia? 
This is the first time Yorgos Lanthimos has directed a film where he's not a screenwriter or involved in any of the screenplay, which I think is fascinating because he still put his imprint on this story, so um, he's the type of director that needs to come up with a story and he's directing his own story, but yeah. this one was not his story. Uh, Rachel Weiss's character, Lady Sarah Churchill, mm-hmm. um, gets banished, mm-hmm. but the palace it's made eventually... Um, descended from her family becomes the one and only Winston Churchill who becomes the Prime Minister. Oh, I didn't know that. So the Churchills got their groove back. (laughs) Winston Churchill. The last bit of trivia I have is there was an actress originally casted to play Lady Sarah that the actress had to drop out. Juliet, can you name that actress that dropped out? I'll give you a hint. She's popular around the same age as Rachel Weisz and has been in movies like this before. Nicole Kidman. That was a really good guess. Is that right? No. Okay. Kate Winslet. Oh. So Kate Winslet was originally accepted the role but then had to uh, back out because of uh, scheduling conflicts. That would have been interesting. Would have both been great. I'm really happy with Rachel Weisz. There's just something kind of royal and majestic about Rachel Weisz. All right, that was our trivia. I learned so much. So much learned. Thank you guys for this trivia. So the favorite is about two women and their rivalry. Yeah, they're fighting for the same role. Fighting for the same role. So we thought this would be a great moment to do our top five rivalries. Well, it's not the bottom. It's the... So we both... Put together our own separate lists of our top five rivalries in a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, one rule was we can't pick the favorite, but I'd actually say this ranks pretty high, if not number one, as far as It's a as pretty rival- good rivalry. Yeah. I consider a rivalry, um, to me, is two or more people competing for the same thing. Yes, yes. Right. Um, I think that's the only way you could really describe a rivalry. I feel like you and I would have two very different lists. Possibly, because uh, diving in, really thinking and kind of looking up movies, of oh, rivalry movies, I was having a tough time narrowing down this top Same. five. So I have a few honorable mentions, so I'll, I'll mention those. If, if we get to them. If we get to them. Obviously, they're not on my list, so I'm going to go ahead and start off. My number five that I'm throwing out there is um, Zoolander. Uh, Derek Zoolander, of course, versus uh, Hansel. He's very hot right now. Very hot. I think uh, that was a great rivalry. Obviously, they became friends. Uh, there was a Zoolander 2 that was really bad. But Zoolander 1, I thought, was awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, their rivalry. And then, of course, they have their... Uh, uh, they have like kind of a model off or whatever mm-hmm. where they have to pull underwear out of their pants. Isn't it like a runway off? I think something like that. It was like, great. Yeah, it was it was great. So I think that for me is that was number an, five on my list for okay. rivalries. That was one of my honorable mentions, but it did get pushed out for my number five, which is Annie and Helen from Bridesmaids. Wow. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So they're both fighting for you know the best friend spot. Annie, it's actually quite similar to the favorite in that Annie has known. Um, the bride for her entire life and Helen kind of swoops in as kind of this special really sweet really awesome person she's not the maid of honor but she's kind of become the star of the wedding Annie can't live up to it so they're kind of fighting for who is the best who is the best friend who is the bridesmaid no I dig that I think that's a solid number five it didn't make my list my number four um, and I think this one's a little similar to what we witnessed in the favorite, uh, Black Swan. Okay. Uh, Natalie Portman versus, uh, Myla Kunis. Nina versus... Myla Kunis. Myla Kunis. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, obviously Black Swan, uh, filmed by Darren Aronofsky. Yeah. Uh, ballerinas competing for the main role, and how far would you go to win that role, um, obviously a psychological thriller, yeah. but a lot of stuff going on in that movie where the the main central part of that movie exists is 
Nina's reactions to Mila Kunis. And, yeah. You know, Mila Kunis you is, know. Pa- is barely even a part of that rivalry, too, which is really interesting because a lot of the rivalry is in Nina's head. Right. It, it's a weird... It's, that definitely was one that I wanted to put on my list. It didn't even make your list. But it didn't make my list. So what's your number four? My number four is uh, Woody and Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> That's actually on my list as well. Nice. So I, d- I did pick that. It's the fight for the favorite toy. Buzz doesn't even know. It's so, almost like the Nina and... It's very similar well, to Nina and Mila. She doesn't even know that she's in the rivalry. Neither does Buzz. Sure. I'd say it's like the favorite, though. Like, you know, Buzz Lightyear's like Abigail just strolling in hot off, new, off the carriage. Toy. You know, hot new sweet toy. Perfect. But he's not trying to rise to the top. Andy has used Woody a lot. You don't remember the deleted scene where Woody has to take care of uh, Andy's gout? Oh, yeah. You got a friend in me. <laughs> Clean my gut, please. What's your number three? Okay. My number three is a movie by Christopher Nolan called The Prestige. And uh, you got Hugh Jackman versus Christian Bale. Mm -hmm. And they're uh, magicians. Mm -hmm. And they'll go as far as Hugh Jackman will just keep cloning himself to beat a couple of twins. Mm -hmm. Sorry, ruined the twist. You ruined it. A lot of rabbits die also in that movie. So hmm, it tied in. My number three is Katie Heron and Regina George from Mean Girls. Of course you'd pick that. Of course I'd pick that. I only put them at number three, though. They're fighting for to be the queen bee. They're using major manipulation and psychological warfare to get there. Um, and then it comes to a head. And I think that's a fantastic rivalry. They're both, like, coming for the same thing for different reasons. Uh, all right. Mean Girls did not make my list. but Shocked. I, I definitely thought of it, though. Oh, that's Not nice. enough for honorable mention, okay. though. Okay. Uh, my number two was right here, uh, Toy Story. It nice. Was Woody vs. Buzz. Okay. So, we're gonna sue for peace. <laughs> do, do, do. All right. Anyways, because you cool. got a friend in me. <laughs> so, my number two is Harry Potter, and some might think it's Voldemort, oh, but it is not. The blonde boy. Draco Malfoy. Mm. So Harry Potter and Draco Malfoy, that to me is a true rivalry because I feel like Voldemort, that was just evil that you're fighting. A rivalry is someone going for the same thing as you, which is he wants to be the best at the school. Like He doesn't like Harry Potter gets all the attention. Everybody knows Harry Potter. Everybody loves Harry Potter. Draco's like... Bitch, I'm rich. So, I'm not a Harry Pothead, but um, doesn't Voldemort try to kill Harry Potter as a kid? Multiple times. Yes, he tried to kill him as a kid. That's so why Harry that has the rivalry? scar on his But it's not a rivalry. He, he was tried just, killing him before no, it was even a rivalry. No, he assumed that Harry was collateral damage. Voldemort mm. did not consider Harry a rival. He was a baby. He killed Harry's parents and then was just like, and now I kill you, collateral damage, get out of my face. But Harry was saved by the power of love. The power of love. The, so while Voldemort might consider Harry a rival, Harry was a goddamn baby, didn't even know, uh, finally finds out he's a wizard, goes to a school, and immediately this little shithead is like hating on him and starting trouble and is his trouble for the next seven years. So I would say it's Harry versus Draco. That's my rivalry number two. Interesting. Um, that didn't make my list. Weird. At all. Um, so my number one, mm-hmm. John Travolta versus Nicolas Cage in a movie called Face Off. I should have known this. It's pretty obvious. I'm a yeah. big fan of Nick Cage, especially when he's fighting John Travolta, and then John Travolta plays Nick Cage, so Nick Cage is playing John Travolta, and John Travolta's playing Nick Cage. It's a rivalry in your own mind. It was an amazing time. Obviously, yeah. uh, an awesomely bad movie with doves and all fun stuff and face waterfalls and all that stuff, but um, doesn't get any better versus... <laughs> Nicholas Cage versus John Travolta. Sorry. I'm with you. The end needs to be number one. I'm with you. I'm with you very hard on this. I thought about it a lot. I I toyed with the idea of making that a part of my top five. Um, ultimately, I pushed it away because I tried to negate crime stories and good versus evil from my list and tried to keep it very very personal as far as the rivalries go, which is why 
I didn't put that on my list, but I fully respect and appreciate. It's pretty personal, though. That it made the list. Well, I mean, he shot Caster his kid. Troy shot his kid. <laughs> and then he took his face. <laughs> just saying. That's not personal enough for me. Oh, okay, cool. Okay. I like how you just argued that I don't like good versus evil in rivalry movies. I'm just like, all right. I like the questionable hero versus villain, which is why I really like the favorite because yeah. some points you think Abigail is the good one. Some points you think Sarah is the good one. No, so you kind I, of go back I understand. And, forth and those like, rivals. like just like Zoolander versus Hansel, like who's really bad? You don't know who's bad. Exactly. And so that's why as much as I, I love Hansel. that movie, Hansel. Hansel, as much as I love Face Off, I didn't put it on my list because they're, you know, there weren't redeeming qualities in Caster Troy. He was evil. Yeah, but he had, he had a son. He does eat a peach and he for loved his hours. brother. What was your number one? So my number one was Baby Jane and Blanche from Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which I haven't seen in a very long time. It's a movie from the 60s. It's, I know. I have no I clue wish what, I could I record no your face for this about, right now. Right. So I haven't seen this movie in a very long time, but Whatever Happened to Baby Jane is um, Betty Davis plays Baby Jane and Blanche is played by Joan Crawford. And so the story is they're sisters. And as kids, Baby Jane is super famous. This little actress sings her songs, blah, blah, blah. Blanche was jealous of Baby Jane. Then Baby Jane was jealous of Blanche. And now they're jealous of each other. And it's this whole like epic fight of like people are getting killed it's this whole kind of like dark twisted really crazy story but it's probably the quintessential sibling rivalry you could ever have um well, i'll say and there's a twist at the end well, but i'm not gonna yeah, tell don't you give away the twist apparently gotta see this movie because i never knew this existed really guys if any of you out there have heard of Baby Jane, please uh, <laughs> like this episode and write comments yeah. to back Juliet up or back myself up that please. no one's ever heard of Baby Jane. Yes, please go on our iTunes and in the, the rating section, you're allowed to kind of like write comments. Please, please explain to Max that this is a classic film that he should have watched at this point at the, at the most, at the least should know exists. I don't want to rival you over this, but this was a good time. No, I enjoyed this. Thank you, as always. Yeah. For joining me tonight. Thanks um, for having me. I hate when we disagree, but sometimes you gotta right. rival each other. Uh, sometimes you gotta be favorite. Rivals. Still in theaters. Go check it out. Please check it out. It's great. Um, really good time. We both really enjoyed it. Uh, good luck to everyone that worked on the favorite and right. the Oscars. And thank you for listening to Filming You In. Uh, we're part of the Grilling Out Podcast Network. You can listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud. Yeah, and uh, like and subscribe, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Have a good one. Like film, that's what they all say. Great movies, it's the American way. I wish they had a show where they reviewed movies, which they do. It's called the Filming You In Show. I like movies, big, big. Join us, everybody, for the Filming You Win show. Let's get some lunch.